the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Isaiah. Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Man's achievements, man's accomplishments, man's notoriety, all that man does will one day be forgotten. We don't extend our glory around the globe like God does. Even in some of the most remote places in the world, they have an idea of a creator, but they don't know you, and they don't know me. They can behold creator in creation, because God is always on display around the world, but Our glory is limited. Our culture puts so much emphasis on the achievements of the world, whether it's advancements in technologies, cities, or culture at large, we love putting people on pedestals. In today's message, Pastor Gary wants you to know that no matter how glorious they may seem, the accomplishments of man will never last. Only God will. If you want your life to mean something more than just this world, you need to stake your claim in eternity. Accept God's free gift of grace and be a source of change that matters. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Isaiah chapter 39 as he begins his message... A Tale of Two Glories. Chapter 39 of Isaiah, verse 1 says, At that time, Merodach Baladan, son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Hezekiah received the envoys gladly and showed them what was in his storehouses, the silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil, his entire armory and everything found among his treasures, There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did those men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, they came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? Well, they saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. And then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come when everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you, will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon." The word of the Lord you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied, for he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. Chapter 40. If that seems weird response, it is, and I'll I'll get to that in a moment. Chapter 40. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. 
Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain. And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pause there and pray. Lord, it's good to be in your house, and it's good to just humble ourselves before your word and read scripture and ask you, Lord, to apply it now to our hearts and to our lives, that we might grow in our faith, that we might become more like Jesus, that we might become more surrendered, Lord. And I thank you for all those who are here today and those who are watching online around the world. We just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to just be here, to proclaim your word, to study, to do what it says. I thank you, Lord, that you've given us the freedoms that we enjoy and how we can come here freely to to worship you without fear uh, of, of harm or the government closing us down. So, Lord, we just, we cherish our freedoms. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And we just pray now you'd use your word to minister to our hearts, challenge and change us, we pray always in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Isaiah 39 and 40, I want us to look at together because these two chapters are really a tale of two glories. They are a tale of two glories. And you'll notice with me in chapter 40 in particular that it's a contrast of these two glories, the glory of God and the glory of man. If you'll notice there in chapter 40, verse 5, it says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. Uh, And by the way, the beginning of chapter 40, this, this whole conversation about one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, that was prophetic for John the Baptist, because John the Baptist would be the one to present Jesus, behold, is the Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist will present Jesus to the world. And so in that sense, he fulfills Isaiah chapter 40, John the Baptist as the one in the wilderness calling and making way uh, for the Lord to be revealed. And Jesus is ultimately the revelation of God's glory. Hebrews 1.3 says that the sun is the radiance of God's glory, S-O-N, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And so God comes in flesh, dies on a cross for our sins, his sacrifice, his revelation, this is why the glory of God is renowned. And so Isaiah mentions the glory of the Lord there in verse 5. And then in verse 6, he also talks about the glory of man. The latter part of verse 6 says, All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. 
Now, the word glory in Hebrew is difficult, and it's even more difficult to explain in English, but I'm going to do my best. And for those of you who like to take notes, here's the background of the word glory. In Hebrew, it is the Hebrew word Chabad. And Chabad means weighty or, or heavy. And depending on the context, it can mean something weighty that is good or something weighty that is bad. Uh, for example, it, depending on the context, it can mean weighty as in burdensome. You know, if there's something weighty on you that troubles you, it's burdensome. But that, that can also be in Hebrew, Chabad. And then it can also be translated in a good way uh, to mean weighty as in important, splendor, honor, grandeur, might. And by the way, every time Chabad is used in the Bible to describe God, it's always used in the good sense. In multiple ways, the Bible describes the glory of God. And I'm going to give you just a few examples so that we understand the concept of glory, and then I'm going to take chapter 40, contrast it, and then use chapter 39 to illustrate what Isaiah is saying here. But for the moment, here's a few verses to help us understand. When the Bible speaks about the glory of God, for example, in Exodus 15, verse 11, it says, "'Who among the gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders?' There is no one with whom we can compare to to God. And in Exodus chapter 33, Moses actually asked God, can I see your glory? He just requests of God, is it okay if I could see your glory? And God basically says in Exodus 33, listen, you can't look straight on into my glory, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock. I'm going to cover your face and I'm going to pass by. You'll be able to see a glimpse of my glory as I'm leaving you but not as I'm coming towards you. This is what we read in Exodus 33, verse 21. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And so God manifests himself in some way to Moses The representation of his glory passing by, he says, listen, I'm going to cover your face. You can see a glimpse of my glory as I've passed by you, but you you cannot see the full extent of it. Bible also talks about God's glory in 2 Chronicles 5 verse 14, where it tells us that the glory of God filled the temple of God so powerfully in such a thick way that the priests could not even perform their duties. Because the glory of God filled the temple and it was this mist-like brilliance that, that was filling the temple and they couldn't even see to do their duties. In Psalm 24, verses 9 and 10, we read this, Lift up your heads, O you gates. This is actually prophetic about the coming of Messiah back into Jerusalem. Lift up your head, uh, O you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, the King of glory? The Lord Almighty, He is the King of glory. So on and on in our Bibles, the Bible describes in multiple ways the glory of God. And, And just to try to get like a working definition so we understand what we're talking about, the glory of God is basically the manifest infinite splendor and worth of God. Whenever you read in the Bible about the glory of God used in some context, Chabad, always in a good sense for God, is speaking about the manifest, infinite, because it's endless, splendor and worth of God. But then the Bible also talks about 
the glory of man. Certainly not in the same level as the glory of God, but it mentions an aspect of man's glory, for example, in Proverbs 10, sorry, Proverbs 19, verse 11, which says this, a man's wisdom gives him patience. It is to his glory to overlook an offense. And so again, in a good sense, the word glory there basically means honor. It is to a person's honor to overlook an offense. You ever known people who seem to have the spiritual gift of making a mountain out of a molehill? That they, that there's just one little thing that, that is a little offense, and all of a sudden it just becomes this huge, blown out of proportion thing. You know, we have to be careful of that kind of thing. And that verse, Proverbs 19, 11, reminds us, it's to your glory, it's to your honor to overlook offenses. Don't, you know, don't, don't get worked up about everything. Just, you know, give it to God and, and let it go. It is the glory of a person to overlook an offense. Also, Proverbs 20, verse 29 talks about our glory. It says, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. So again, it speaks there in terms of honor. That when a a guy is young, still have some, you know, some measure of testosterone, their strength is their splendor. It's their glory. It's their honor. But in the same verse, it speaks about how the gray hair of men is their splendor. What that means is that the older a person gets, the wiser, generally speaking, they become, and that is indicated by their gray hair. You see gray hair, they're, they're older, but they're older and they're also wiser. That's their splendor, whereas the splendor of young men is their strength. Why are you laughing? I don't know. Is it older and wiser, younger and stronger? The Bible speaks also of our eternal glory in Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, and I love the way Paul writes this because, you know, here's a man who was beaten many times, left for dead, shipwrecked, went hungry, without food. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us a glory that far outweighs them all. There is this glory that we shall experience in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 73:24 says you guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. So there's a glory that that mankind experiences here and eternally in Christ. Even Christians will one day get a glorified body. In 1 Corinthians 15:43 Paul says that our body when it decays in the ground it is sown in dishonor but it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness it is raised in power. So there are many facets to the idea of glory in the Bible as it applies to God's glory and as it applies to man's glory. But here in chapter 40, what we find is a contrast between the glory of God and the glory of man. And so I want us to look at this together and then we're going to see how chapter 39 illustrates the contrast for us. So for you note takers, here's the first thing out of chapter 40 to be aware of. Number one, God's glory is revealed for all to see. Man's glory is limited for some to see. Here in chapter 40, verse 5, again says, And the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. The glory of God is revealed in His power. The glory of God is revealed in creation. The glory of God is revealed in commandments. The glory of God is revealed in the cross. You know, everything that God has done, is doing, and shall do reveals or displays His glory for all to see. 
That's why Romans 1 says man will be out without excuse on the day of judgment because God's glory is visible from that which has been seen, either through his commandments or through his creation or through the cross. God's glory is constantly on display for all to see. The Bible says in Psalm 19:1, David wrote, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Even when Isaiah wrote this book in chapter 6, when he describes this vision of being in heaven before the throne of God, in chapter 6, verse 3, he says there were these angels that were circulating the throne of God, and they were crying out in a loud voice, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of His glory, of His glory. Psalm 108 verse 5 says, Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. But man's glory is limited. Man's achievements, man's accomplishments, man's notoriety, all that man does will one day be forgotten. We don't extend our glory around the globe like God does. Even in some of the most remote places in the world, They have an idea of a creator, but they don't know you, and they don't know me. They can behold creator in creation, because God is always on display around the world, but our glory is limited for only some to see. The most famous people even understand this. The most famous poet, or the most famous author, or the most famous singer, celebrity, athlete, movie star, you name it, I mean, they might be known around a good portion of the world, but nobody's known around the world like God is. And even if some famous person is widely known, their glory won't last forever. Which brings me to point number two out of chapter 40. Number two, God's glory is eternal, but man's glory is fading. You'll look again here at verse 8. It says, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. The word of God, our Bibles, which is the testimony of God's glory, will endure forever. God's testimony will endure forever. So therefore, God's glory is never ending and ever displayed in the universe because God has no beginning and no ending. He is eternal and his glory is visible for all to see for all time. Man's glory is fading. That's why in comparison here in in verse 6 and 7, Isaiah says this, the end of verse 6 says, all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord blows on them. This passage, by the way, is, is quoted by the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. Peter says, even New Testament times, listen, this is not just Old Testament stuff. Peter says, even in New Testament times, man's glory is ever fading. It's like the flowers of the field. They fall. They fade. The petals eventually fall to the ground. And nobody remembers that flower anymore. You know, that's the way it is with mankind. That's why he's using this as a comparison here. Your glory, my glory, it's like a flower. I mean, it's here today and it's gone. And nobody remembers it. I don't care how many books are written. People will eventually forget. Do you have azaleas at your house? We got some azaleas and they bloom for like a week. And then they're done. And then, and then nobody remembers them. And, and then, if, by the way, if you're going to trim your azalea bushes, you got to make sure you trim them right after the flowers fall off. Or then they won't bloom next year. You know, so here they go to all this effort, they bloom, you know, they bud, they bloom, they show their splendor for like a week, and then they're done. 
And that's basically the way mankind's glory is, mankind's fame, mankind's notoriety. Here today, forgotten tomorrow. I was having a conversation a little while ago with our middle school pastor, and Barrett is, I think, 27, 28, somewhere in there. And in the course of our conversation, I happened to mention, I didn't even remember, I think we were talking about music, and in the course of the conversation, I mentioned Diana Ross. He looked at me like a deer in the headlights. And he said to me, who's Diana Ross? I was like, you don't, you don't know? Come on. You don't know Diana Ross? Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough, Diana Ross. Baby love, my baby love. Endless love, Diana Ross. Crickets. He had no idea who she was. But how sad is this? Her glory has faded. She's not even dead. Don't tell her we're having this conversation, but I just, it was remarkable to me. I started throwing out other names. Do you know this? And I got depressed. I'm like, what in the world? Our glory is fading like a flower. Number three, God's glory is incomparable. Man's glory is insignificant. In chapter 40, verse 12 and on. I mean, I'm just going to read verse 12 and a little bit of chapter 40, but Isaiah spends a lot of time talking about just the incomparable greatness and splendor and magnificence of God in comparison to man. And this chapter is rich with a lot of it. I'm just going to highlight a few verses. Verse 12, he says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance. Interesting, by the way, that whole concept of mountains and hills, valleys, the balance of the earth is what scientists call isostasy. It's the equilibrium and balance of the earth. And God has wonderfully created the earth in such a way that it doesn't wobble or spin out of control. He's got the Himalayas on one side of the earth and he's got the Grand Canyon on the other. So it just, it balances all in its rotation because that's, that's the way God has made the universe. You know, I, I can't even get the ceiling fan in my office not to wobble. You got to attach little weights on the blades to make sure that it spins just right. And here God has just flung the earth in space to, to wonderfully rotate without wobbling and without being out of balance. And Isaiah is saying, what man has done that? I mean, I mean, man can't even, you know, balance his tires or, or the ceiling fan. And, and God has made the whole universe in, in right balance. Further down in verse 25 he, he asks more rhetorical questions. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One? To whom will you compare me there in verse 25? It, he's un, it's incomparable. We can't compare anything or anyone to God. He has no equal. Verse 26, lift your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls them each by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. I mean, this, this is the God of the universe that we serve. This is the one who is incomparable, but our glory is insignificant. Now, when you put these three things together, that man's glory is limited, man's glory is fleeting, it is fading, and man's glory is insignificant, and... Isaiah makes this case throughout chapter 40. 
then you can understand why in chapter 39, Isaiah rebukes King Hezekiah for promoting his own glory instead of the glory of God. The reason why these two chapters are together is because there's this message to us that Hezekiah serves to illustrate. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was a man who lived during many kings' reigns. Perhaps the most well-known king during Isaiah's time was Hezekiah. Isaiah offered counsel and wisdom God had given him, encouraging these kings to continue following God. Some of them did, and others followed their own ways or the people's ways more than God's. Isn't it easy to slip into what the world around you is doing or saying, giving into their ways and rituals? This was the case then, and it's the case now. But what we can learn from Isaiah is that God can use people to speak truth. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can speak truth to one another? Here at Cornerstone Chapel, we get together each Sunday and Wednesday to learn from the Word and spend time in worship as sons and daughters of the King. It's a powerful time for us to learn together and fellowship together. We'd love for you to be a part of it. Find service times and directions by visiting our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks so much for listening and learning in the book of Isaiah on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.